Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Earlier this week, the Trump administration set off a firestorm. Perhaps that is not news, but this White House announcement certainly was. The administration said it planned to enforce a rule that international students must take in-person classes to be in the country on student visas. That's even though COVID-19 has many universities adjusting plans for the fall semester. Some are going online only. Others plan to only partially reopen their campuses. And up to one million students could be affected. Some of those students had planned to study in St. Louis or at least study with professors based here. And so joining us today to talk about what this decision means for students and local colleges alike is Jim Hacking. He is an attorney who specializes in immigration law. He's with the Hacking Law Practice. So, Jim, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. And we're also joined today by Mark Camimura Jimenez. He's the Associate Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs and Dean of the Center for Diversity and Inclusion at Washington University. So, Mark, welcome. Thank you. Jim, uh, I want to start with you. I understand this rule has been on the books for for a while now. Why did the administration's plans to enforce it seem like such a big deal to so many people? Well, it's just one more instance of the Trump administration really assaulting legal immigration. They've couched a lot of their rhetoric and their actions saying that they're going after, quote unquote, illegal immigration. But this is just one of the harshest and cruelest uh, of many things that they've done. And I think the reason it caused such a furor is because the school year is about to start in about five or six weeks. We have international students who are already here and those who are planning on coming and schools that are willing and happy to accept them in various capacities. But because of COVID, we're looking to do more and more of their classes online. And I think people are looking at this as an attempt by the president to boost his poll numbers by trying to get the economy kick-started by forcing these international students to go back to school. Hmm. Mark, were the administration's plans on this, was this a surprise to those of you in higher education? Yes, uh, we we did not um, expect the magnitude of impact um, that this policy came in and the timing. I mean, I think the timing is is crucial because our students have been trying to they, they just, you know, kind of in the middle of their summer trying to adjust to uh, a new life uh, indoors or partially outdoors when they can. But mm-hmm. the reality is that classes um, looked different in the spring and they're going to look different in the fall. Um, and we are preparing to, uh, you know, open up our campus as a hybrid in a hybrid model. And this changes a lot of that. And so doing that hybrid model, um, you weren't going to do online only. It wasn't like every single class was going to be just meeting online. But how how does that model get affected by this rule, assuming that, uh, you know, Trump goes forward with it, it holds up to lawsuits? What will that mean you'll have to change? Well, I think that it means that we have to look at the health concerns of of specifically our international students who feel like if they aren't... um, they feel like they may be at risk of getting sick or if they were to get sick, that it would have uh, major implications on, on their health. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to be thoughtful about how to move forward and around those kinds of um, those kinds of in-person if we're forced to do so, but we're trying to make sure that our students have that choice to protect themselves and their health. And I know Washington University has a lot of international students. Give us a sense of the numbers. Like what percentage of the student body are we talking about here? So it's 24% of our students are uh, international students. Mm-hmm. And and it's split up interestingly because uh, our undergrads are about 9% uh, of our undergrads are international. But 
38% of our graduate students are uh, international. And so there's a, a huge impact on that student community as well. And this might be a really dumb question, but as somebody who uh, has never done a postgraduate degree, I know a lot of times they end up teaching classes, not just taking them. How does that impact that? Are they're not allowed to teach these classes online exclusively either. They'd also have to come in um, to instruct. Well, that's kind of, these are all, a lot of the questions that we're trying to answer. So there's a lot within this uh policy that was unclear. Um, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered, a lot of ambiguous um, language in terms of what any of this means for instruction, uh, as you know, for graduate students in particular, mm -hmm. um, but also what it means for uh, students who are, are not in the United States currently and how, you know, what happens in the future, like they're you know, when does their visas um, expire? And how does it, you know, how can they get back? I mean, there's other questions that we have, too, that we need to answer with regards to some of the policy implications here, too. Hmm. Jim, I'm told that international students usually come into this country on one of three different kinds of visas. Will this affect all three? Yeah, so the regulations are directed to the F and the M. So it's the, it's the traditional international students. It is not for the J-1 international students. So it's just Fs and Ms, and it's going to keep them from being able to, you know, settle and keep keep going. And, you know, besides the great contributions that international students make at these universities, they also pay the highest tuition rate. So in, in a lot of ways, they are sort of subsidizing American students' education and losing out on this money is going to be a huge loss for the universities. Mark, I'm wondering if you could speak to that. I've heard from many people in higher education that if colleges have to go online only, say that there are really big spikes, it's not safe to have in-person classes, and that means these students have to leave, that this could be catastrophic in terms of layoffs and, and just big problems for colleges' bottom lines. Is, is that a fair assessment? Well, international students have contributed in upwards of $40 billion uh, to the U.S. economy. And so the impact on institutions of higher education would be uh, extraordinary. Um, we've already seen it this past spring as institutions have uh, aimed to recover uh, from going online and, and all that was in, involved in that. Um, but the, the big part would be what happens to our students who are forced, you know, based on this policy would be forced to leave. I mean, I think it's, that's the cruel part of this policy that um, we're going to put human life uh, at risk and our students are having to make a choice as to whether or not they should go to class or if they have to go home mm -hmm. and whether or not they can even go home. We have students who are stuck in the United States right now and they can't travel back to their home country. Uh, and this is just because uh, airlines have shut down international flights. Some of these countries aren't allowing Americans back in. They could literally right. end up being caught between two places they're not allowed to be. That's right. One of the students uh, who's going to be affected by this likely um, is a student at Washington University. His name is Victor Boutinier, and he's an international Ph.D. student with a focus in French poetry and film. He's a member of the Graduate and Undergraduate Student Workers Union, and he spoke yesterday to St. Louis Public Radio reporter Chad Davis. Now, what Victor told Chad is that he could go back to live with his parents in France if he had to, but it would cause real hardship. He'd have to break his lease, uh, pay to put his furniture in storage here, pay for an inter international flight home, and then there's the anxiety of what would happen if he gets there. 
at some point I might risk running out of money because uh, so far we had this uh, another guideline that came out in March, I think, telling us that basically, usually when you leave the US for more than five months, your visa is canceled and you cannot have access to your funding anymore, to your PhD funding. Uh, this this uh, was overruled by a guideline that said that there was no limitation anymore. But the thing that we don't know is whether the new ICE guidelines overruled the exception. So I may very well be sent back to France for the whole semester. And if I stay in France for more, more than five months, I'm going to lose my funding. So I would be at my parents with no source of income. And the thing is that I left France to the US and gave up on a lot of like, you know, degrees and career prospects there. So I'm not very well equipped to go back to the, you know, to join the work workforce in France. Uh, WashU PhD student Victor Boutonnier also explained what he's facing in the longer term. Yeah, there, there's no, there's no solace to be found into this. It would just be an absolute disaster financially. And also emotionally, because I've invested so much, like just in terms of cost, it would put me into bankruptcy and my parents cannot afford to, you know, help me as much as they would like. Uh, they, I kind of sheltered them because I don't want them to be too worried about this, but uh, they could not afford to, I mean, they could afford to have me at home, but not for too long because they, you know, they're not extremely rich either. And that's WashU PhD student Victor Boutonnier. Uh, Mark, are you hearing a lot of um, a lot of anxiety right now from students um, about these these very sorts of things? Yes, our students are taking probably the most emotional toll on their educational experience that um, has nothing to do with the rigors of their academic program. And I think that's probably one of the most difficult things to manage, I think, for uh, our students. And as they're trying to negotiate all the things that everyone else is, um, and also being in a another country in which policies are changing in their status and um, their ability to kind of feel uh, that they're able to continue their educational studies, but also to just live life here. I mean, the reason why uh, we have so many students come to the United States is because the opportunity to get such a great education and live in a, in a country um, that, you know, really embraces a lot of the rich culture that we have um, and that we bring together. Jim, I know there are people who are trying to fight this. Um, and as typical with these things, it seems like the court of law might be the place to have to do it. Um, Harvard and MIT have filed a lawsuit in federal court challenging this order. Uh, as an attorney, what do you make of their case? Well, I was just looking it over before we got on the call. And, and I wouldn't say it's the absolute strongest case that mm. I've seen. I'm a little bit worried about it because uh, this is not a new rule, and it's not a new. It's arguably not a new interpretation of an existing rule. So many of the Trump immigration policies, including the DACA decision, that have been thrown out by the courts have been because they didn't go through the proper rulemaking procedure. So um, I'm sure that the the universities are going to put everything they have into these lawsuits, but I'm a little bit worried that um, the courts might not be as receptive as they have been for a lot of the Trump immigration litigation. 
Uh, we're talking to Jim Hacking. He's an attorney who specializes in immigration law with a hacking law practice. We're also joined today by Mark Camimura Jimenez. He's the Associate Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs and Dean of the Center for Diversity and Inclusion at Washington University. Now, um, as we spoke about earlier, a lot of students just feeling so much anxiety about this. And Victor Boutonnier, who's the PhD student that we uh, we heard from earlier, he went on Twitter a few days ago to rant about his dissatisfaction, um, some of which has to do with WashU's response. And here's how he described uh, what triggered that rant. It was about this, and it was also specifically about the response that WashU uh, gave, or rather did not give to us. Uh, because when I see that Harvard and Yale and so many other universities are about to go up and they, they're going to challenge the decision in court, but WashU is still silent about this, and they all the emails that we got so far was, well, basically, we are not going online this semester, so you will be okay, so we're not going to do anything. And then they sent us an email saying that if they were to go online, we would have to pack. No form of support whatsoever, except that, oh, this is very bad, but you'll have to pack and leave. Mm. And uh, as I was saying uh, on Twitter right before I joined this call, um, having to go back to France would try to put me into bankruptcy. And that's Victor Boutonnier. He's a PhD student. And obviously just a lot of anxiety here, a lot of uncertainty. But it sounds like he's hoping WashU uh, would do more. Now, that was yesterday morning when we spoke with him, um, wanted to make that clear. But Mark, from WashU's perspective, is there anything you guys can do at this point? Well, we have, um, we are filing an amicus brief. Um, and I, I'd like to say that, you know, it, it's unfortunate uh, situation for our students to have to receive this news, both, you know, trying to interpret the federal guidelines when they see them, but also that we try to put together summaries for our students so that they understand, like, kind of, you know, what it is that, that the policy or guideline is trying to exp- explain. And, and it, it's hard because we are, you know, summarizing something that we, uh, you know, don't agree with, that we feel like is harsh and hurtful to our students' experience, but they have to know what the guideline is. Um, You know, a lot has changed since yesterday, and uh, we are, um, you know, trying to make some major uh, moves within the campus to address the gaps within this guideline. Um, You know, we are filing an amicus brief uh, to support the Harvard-MIT lawsuits and um, you know we have to push back to for our students well that's that's yeah that's great to hear and Jim was that you there Um, I'd love to hear from you I mean one is I I understand the frustration of the PhD student but I mean this this rule came out three days ago I think WashU is doing as well a job as they can it's a very confusing time and there's been very little guidance but the reason I wanted to jump in is because the judge has given the parties the, the defendants, the government defendants, till noon on Monday to respond, and they're going to have a hearing on a temporary restraining order next Wednesday. I just hmm. saw that. And oh, Okay, this might even be breaking news here. Is that right, Jim? Apparently so. So this is at least on a fast track. I know overall you're, you're a little worried about its long-term prospects, but a judge is going to make sure it's heard in a timely way. In the meantime, Jim, I imagine you're probably hearing from a lot of students uh, wondering what they can do. Is there any good advice for them at this point? Yeah, I mean, I'm given sort of the same advice WashU's given, and I think it's all that you can do. You can say, look, it's going to be litigated, and then universities are doing the best that they can. Students might want to look at other schools that are, if they already know their school is going to be completely online, then they need to adjust. But I also think that the universities themselves are probably all in flux now, too, even those that were 
all good, we're going to be all online are now probably looking for options to try to protect their students. Hmm. And it seems like, as you were alluding to earlier, that may be what President Trump was up to with this. This is maybe a way to pressure universities, not just crack down on international students, although knowing his thoughts on immigration, he might like the twofer there. Is that part of what you think is going on, Jim? I, I think that's exactly right. He gets a, he gets something to try to help his, his lagging campaign, and he gets to be cruel to immigrants one more time. We looked into this, and we're not aware of any local higher education institutions that are at this point planning to go online only. But we did hear from some of them, including uh, St. Louis University uh, President Fred Pastello. He issued a statement saying um, that stu- that universities were aware they might have to pivot. Um, he said at some point during the fall term, universities could be forced to consider another pivot to online instructions. Under the new regulations, this pivot would require international students to, to return home. And Mark, it sounds like that's the problem for you at Washington University as well, that if this is allowed to stand, it really cuts off some options or puts a whole bunch of students in a bad place. Is is that fair to say? And well, yes, it definitely would if we were to take it, uh, you know, take this guidance um, without understanding what that guy, like what flexibilities we may have within that guidance. And I think Victor spoke to it well, which is that the government came out and said one thing and then changed their mind and said, oh, well, you know, we have to pivot over here, right? That um, the whole world pivoted at the moment. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that we also need to think about how we're communicating back using our uh, professional associations and um, contacts in D.C. to make sure that our uh, our government is aware of the impact this is having on our students and the impact that it has on our universities and the research that is informing our healthcare systems and, and everything else that uh, makes our country a, a great place to be. So you guys do not intend to take this lying down? No. And Jim, I know that's not the case for you either. So I think we're going to have to keep an eye on this. It sounds like Monday, um, some more things may become clear. I know you'll be watching that. So um, you'll have to keep us in the loop. And Jim Hacking of of the Hacking Law Practice, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Sarah. And Mark Kamamura Jimenez of Washington University, thank you so much for, for sharing your expertise. Thank you. And Mark, again, is the Associate Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs. He's also the Dean of the Center for Diversity and Inclusion at Washington University. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.